it's been a very exciting game today when the day of recording when uh England and Sweden uh played their match it's going to mm. be a, a few days subsequently when you're actually listening to this so hello from the past yeah but what's very exciting is that of course our two favorite figures from England and Sweden i heard made a little friendly bet and uh let's just say that between Paul Joseph Watson and Peter Sweden Peter Sweden is the one who needs to spend the night in the haunted caliphate of Tower Hamlets, and Paul Joseph Watson's not going to be forced to go to Malmo. Peter, Peter Sweden and like Derek Akora spend a night chasing Muslim ghosts around Bethnal Green. <laughs> <laughs> very, very cool streetwear Muslim ghosts, yes. Yeah. Just people's, just people's Muslim grandma telling them that they're not going out like that and to make sure they've eaten. <laughs> <laughs> that hit very close Ooh. to home. Very, very close <laughs> like, to home. Like your Muslim grandma was a ghost. <laughs> Hussein, why are you wearing such a slutty T-shirt? Don't tell my gra- my ghost grandma about that. <laughs> it's it's thick boy season. Don't tell right. my ghost grandma that I'm walking around in Tower Hamlets um, wearing Asics and a graphic tee. <laughs> Asics is streetwear. I mean, it's not really. It is. It's not. It is. It's just that it's not caught on just yet. It's it's not. It's like how LSC was like really lame. Back in like the back in the nineties, the LSE like, has uh, always been lame. <laughs> the, the LSE has always yeah. been lame, but LSE the brand, oh, which is very which is very much linked to the Frankfurt. Is that school, how you pronounce it? I always called it LSE. I thought it was LS. Well, I grew up in Essex, so you know. Um, you basically out. grew up in Love Island. Uh, yeah, I did. That's my, what we were talking about this earlier. I did. My, my favorite type of streetwear though is this brand called Le Coq Sportif. Uh-huh. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, I remember. I remember Le Coq Sportif with, it's, with um, the rooster. That rooster. It's, it's, you know, it's like the apotheosis of like of like just how dumb Frenchness is, right? Like, they're, they're, it's, it, it, it's like, it's an, entire, it's an entire nation of people who think it's okay to do mime and circus stuff, and, like, their biggest athletic brand is of a chicken for some reason. Like, France has no taste in anything. It's, I, a, it's a sporty chicken. Yeah, it's a sporty chicken. When, you, when, you're, doing, <laughs> when you're doing pelvic floor exercises, le coq sportif. <laughs> Hello and welcome back again to Trash Future, the podcast about how I don't do the opening slogan anymore. Uh, I got bored of doing it. Uh, (laughs) And so now I'm just doing a shortened version, but that includes this explanation, which is longer than the original one. Looks Mm. like I need to go back to the drawing board because I may have over-engineered the solution to this problem. Galaxy brain, you you need Elon Musk to give you an efficiency drive. Elon Elon Musk needs to drill through this problem with uh, a, a bouncy castle. I, I would love to see a version like you start saying the intro, but like it's like Elon Musk has made it more efficient. It's except there's one problem, which is like a piano falls on you halfway through you saying the <laughs> intro. Uh, workers' rights are so boring. Sometimes the the cost of efficiency is you know people get hit by piano. <laughs> uh, border, In space, this borderline Elon Sofredi. Elon Sofredi. Hey, do you guys like space? <laughs> no. No one on this podcast likes space. Space yeah, we're, sucks. We're, space we're, sucks. That's our take now. Space we're, sucks. It's an anti-space like, podcast. Space. It's anti-SpaceX. Like no, it's like the thing. Fuck is, space is like we work, but for fucking. <laughs> no, is workers can't live in space. There's not enough oxygen. Space is anti-worker. Redistribute the oxygen to the masses. Redistribute the oxygen equally throughout space is my my I think opinion. It is distributed pretty evenly throughout space. To be fair. Welcome again to Trash Future. That thing I said. 
Uh, my name is Riley. You can find me on Twitter at Rala, R-A-A-L-E-H. I don't recommend it, though, because my, all of my posts are very bad. About piss. Uh, it's Hussein. Um, you can follow me at HKizvani. Um, I've done the It's Coming Home, but not your dad joke, haven't I? You can do it again. You have. I enjoyed it. I laughed at it in the pub. <laughs> if you enjoyed it once, why not do it again, as Riley says to all um, of the women he knows. I, 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 I'm fine. I, I resonate a lot with Post Malone right now in the sense that I'm always tired. I resonate with Post Malone because I'm always posting and I'm also a child gangster. <laughs> um, two jokes there. Uh, yeah, hi, my name is Milo Edwards, at Milo underscore Edwards on, on Twitter. You may remember me from, from many previous episodes of this, of this podcast and uh, it's coming, much like me, it is coming home from Russia. Well, Milo, Milo is the World Cup. I am. Uh, little, I am the World Cup. Little Bitch, I am the World Cup. Little did they know. Yeah. Um, and our guest today. Hi, I'm, I'm Wendy. I'm at Dell System on Twitter, and I don't really know what's going on on this podcast half the time, so. <laughs> well, that's You're on the like... level. Yeah, it's not, that's not going to change. Yeah, like, no, that's all of us. <laughs> that's not Especially gonna... Riley today. Shut up. But you're the person who normally knows what's going on. That's why this is such a problem. I never do. <laughs> so, so, so for this show, Wendy is the leader and I'm yeah. the deputy okay. leader. Well, this is a little disorienting. Yeah. So <laughs> deputy Caleb. Wendy is the one with it most together. Um, <laughs> Hussein yeah. is sort of mentally competent. Um, I can just about make it. Milo is mentally competent, but deficient in attention. I'm playing a completely different game. That's me. <laughs> I'm just like... <laughs> and I am... Uh, very sleepy. Anyway, very sleepy boy. I'm a sleepy boy, uh, but I'm very excited because it's coming home. So, um, Wendy is a sort of tech. I guess you could say what a tech industry former insider, and now turned um, almost tech skeptic commentator. And you can read your work in the New Socialist and other similar publications, Novara, etc. Yeah, so my story is that until about, you know, a year, year and a half ago, I did not even know that the left, um, which, you know, includes podcasts like this, I did not know that existed. So my entire life was basically just like tech. I was one of those, you know, Silicon Valley wannabe entrepreneurs. Like I idolized Elon Musk. Um, it's, it's very oh, yeah. embarrassing in hindsight. Did you not see, <laughs> did you not see his Twitter and all of oh, his yeah. lol, very random humor? Oh no, I thought he was hilarious. Uh, ep- you, thought, <laughs> you, you thought Epic Bacon Reddit Daddy was hilarious? I definitely went through a phase when I thought that was funny. Um, That's what they <laughs> all say. <laughs> Damn, this is, is a, a confessional podcast. All of a sudden, this is, this is now the, air, the airing of, um, the, not the airing of grievances, but certainly the, the airing of shame. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. No, th- a lot of the stuff I'm still coming to terms with, but I mean, I definitely was one of those like, you know, Fountainhead people. Like I, I loved Ayn Rand. Um, mm. I, I read the Fountainhead like a ton of times. I, I want to emphasize the past tense. <laughs> this is all past tense. In your sentence. I'm, I'm much better now. <laughs> yeah, that D is doing a lot of work in that, in that, that, that suffix D is doing a lot of work in yes. that word loved. Wendy's like one of those people who escaped from Scientology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now I spent all my time denouncing it. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, honestly, like, so, so I was, I was completely enamored with this tech world, right? Like I, I just wanted to make a lot of money in Silicon Valley and, I, I don't really know exactly what happened, but I, I started a company um, and then eventually I got to this point where I was like, this is this whole thing is just like bullshit and I can't do it anymore. I can't defend these like tech billionaires to my friends anymore. I, I don't want to um, keep living this life anymore. And so I moved to London, um, started a master's degree in inequality at the London School of Economics and kind of like in the process just discovered 
the left. Like if it's like this thing that you can discover, um, mm-hmm. just started reading books, reading articles, um, listening to podcasts. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. back when Bernie Sanders and Chapo Trap House invented being on the left in 2016. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was actually not even, I wasn't even a Bernie supporter. I was, I was totally, I'm with her <laughs> during the election. I like, oh, yeah. at the time I was just like, I didn't know there was like a left beyond, you know, what Hillary Clinton represented. It was like liberalism versus mm. conservatism. That was the extent of my like political vocabulary. Two brands, well, one, either technocrats or, you know, like people who want to release genetically modified tarantulas into the into the inner cities of America to try and spur productivity. Basically, and I was like, you know, technocr- like liberal technocrats, I don't see what the problem is. Like Hillary has experience. Yeah. She'd make a good politician. But then again, tarantulas. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, both sides make very good points. I, I, I was personally very convinced by Hillary Clinton after she did the fight song video. Oh, God. Uh, that's still my jam. That's still my jam. That's still my running, that's still my running track. Pokemon yeah. Go, fuck yourself. <laughs> anyway, oh, God. So you, but you were in this milieu, mm-hmm. and then you sort of had your Damascene Road moment. Where we don't really know what it was necessarily, but you sort I love of how everyone says road to Damascus, but you said Damascene Road just to somehow be more of a so pretentious. <laughs> just in just in case we forgot, just, just so people know you went to Oxford. Oh, <laughs> shit, that's a normal thing to say. Uh, you studied at the uh, the Universitas Londoniensis <laughs> Economiensis, is that correct? I've studied at a lot of places, Milo. Don't try to list him. Yeah, no, I, I won't. Ugh. Um, so fine. You had your, um, you had your, your big realize. There we go. Is that more <laughs> acceptable to you, you fucking dick? I already made my terms perfectly clear. <laughs> so you had your, you had your, you had your light bulb, uh, go off, um, and then you sort of abandoned that way of thinking and came over to the left. But you sort of brought a sense of understanding of the ways in which these systems work with you over to the left. Yeah, yeah, I guess. And I think one thing that um, I mean, it, there are a lot of things I could criticize the left for, like as much as much as I'm really happy to be here and I've, I feel like I've discovered something that just like makes a lot of sense there. I think, you know, obviously the left has a lot of problems and you guys talk about this sometimes right but and they edits it all out (laughs) because we can't be seen saying that shit although we do think it (laughs) when it comes to technology i think the main problem is that there hasn't been enough engaging with this stuff and i think you know there are a few people in recent years um like nick nick cernick right who's written about um the this new wave of like technology um the big tech platforms how do we conceive of this from a left perspective what is the marxist approach to understanding how google facebook apple work right and that's that's really important but at the same time I just don't think that's the whole story. That there's not enough platforming of people who actually understand how the tech industry works in like a very visceral, personal way. And I think without that narrative, you you're missing a little bit of the picture, and you're missing, you know, what can the left actually do about technology? It's I don't think it's enough at this point to just um to throw out this like technocratic solutions like oh we're gonna you know we're gonna have government regulation somehow uh-huh. fix the problem we're gonna have like a socialist yeah. project somehow magically fix the problem. You need people who really understand what it's like to work in the industry. And ideally, these are people who have to also understand right the the left perspective yeah. on it. You you don't just want to like give uh, someone like Mark Zuckerberg a platform. The point is like to find people in the tech industry who have been radicalized or who are on the path to radicalization, and to combine their narratives and their takes and like their very technical understanding of how these systems work with the left critiques, and then from there find find a way to synthesize this into you know a broader 
picture of what we should be doing about technology. Because what you did recently was you're sort of you were recently in like Palo Alto and San Jose and stuff, right? The lion's den. Yeah, you, you <laughs> went you went into the mouth of madness. So I so stayed in San Francisco. You're not wearing any Patagonia clothing. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 so, and so you and you were there. If I'm wrong. Um, to actually begin having these conversations and sort of finding out where these tech workers are who are beginning to think like this. Yeah, so um, I recently got a little bit involved with the Tech Workers Coalition, which is this this group. It's like a very amorphous um, group. It's not like a formal organization or anything, but it's just, you know, it draws together a bunch of tech workers who are dissatisfied with how the industry is going. And you have people with a wide range of political views there, right? You have some people who are just still just liberals and you have people who have been, you know, communists since they were born. But it's, I don't it's, like <laughs> the table football in the, in the lobby. I demand <laughs> table tennis. <laughs> Um, but the point is, this is this is a place where all these people can get together and air their grievances about the tech industry, and specifically try to understand um, their own concerns as workers, right? Because even though there's this image of the tech industry as being this place where everyone's coddled, everyone gets like a you know six figure salary, free food, buses everywhere, whatever. Yeah, a lot of that is true, but there are also everyone has some problems with how they're treated at work. Maybe it's that they're not given enough autonomy. Right. Yeah. They're given some autonomy, but they, they still can't fully decide, you know, what the product they build is. The value of my retirement beanie has been significantly reduced. <laughs> <laughs> it, and it's like it, it contributes to a situation where people do have grievances, but there is no real formal structure for airing them because there's very little unionization. Right. Why, in tech. why, why do you think that is? Um, so this is something that's been explored uh, more in the last like year, really. So there's a really great piece in N plus one by um, Alex Press who's an editor at Jacobin, that talks about why unionization in tech has just historically been basically non-existent. And I mean, it comes down to a bunch of different factors, right? Like one is the fact that um, if, you, if you think about how Silicon Valley started, how a lot of these companies started, uh, one way of looking at it is just in a geographic sense, people were trying to escape the union structures in the East. Um, so Alex talks about that a bit in her piece. And another is just like, if you look at the ideology within the tech industry and the way it grew out of this programming community, where for a while it's been this thing where it's like it feels like a meritocracy to the people inside it so the people who are who are in it they think that um it's like a very technocratic way of thinking that like because code is neutral and there's like a neutral way of judging how good code is Uh then it's all about merit if you do well if your code is good it doesn't really matter who you are then you'll rise to the top because that it's all about like you as an individual being the best you can be. And who needs unions when you have that one is just, it's about pitting individuals against each other. Yeah. Who needs HR when you have upvotes? (laughs) So in, in, in their imagination, it feels as the, cause like one thing I've doing this podcast, one thing I've kind of see over and over again is this idea that a lot of the tech industry, especially represented by its billionaires have that they are the kind of nominated champions of humanity. Or at least some kind of, you know, um, Charles Murray style bell curve intellectual aristocracy who, who are, you know, going to save humanity or dominate it by dint of their own brilliance. Like, of course, they'd be resistant to unionization because then that just interferes with the execution of their will, which is of a higher order than anyone else's, right? Yeah, that's a good point. So definitely there, there are two factors here, right? One is the fact that the people who are at the top of the industry, right? The CEOs, the founders, the investors, of course, they don't want unionization. 
to occur in any way because that's that's directly competing with their class power. But then what's interesting in the tech industry is that even the people who would benefit from unionization, they don't like it as a concept because it infringes upon their this idea that they're just they're there by dint of their own merit, right? That they manage to get these six-figure jobs in the valley because they're really good, because they learn how to code and they're just brilliant. And that, you know, they're just somehow on a different intellectual plane than say their Uber drivers or the people who deliver them food. And so, so they kind of need that. You know what this reminds me of? is this, it's, it's, it's so fucking medieval. It, re- it reminds me of the great chain of being that sort of, that, that the medievals held to be the sort of just um, hierarchy of their society. That it was God, the king, uh, the higher aristocrats, the lower aristocrats, the knights and the commoners. And that there is just this kind of naturally ordained hierarchy that you mustn't question because any, con- any attempt to go against the hierarchy is merely going to impede the proper working of nature and is merely going to sort of distort what the natural best outcome should be. It's this weird way Ethel of... read the unready to unionize. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, this weir- yeah. it's this weirdly kind of... Again, I, I always go back to Calvinism, but it's this, it, it, it really is this sort of exogenizes every element of free will, any, any element of even like human liberation that could possibly go into it. It's like, it's no wonder these people are trying to automate away every job because they would imagine that in a perfect world, you could just make humans automatons. It'd be hilarious if then computers unionized. That would be the ultimate <laughs> troll, just as they got rid of the last human worker. And the computers all got together and they were like, no, nah. <laughs> you work for me now, bitch. That would actually be a really cool like sci-fi novel. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, shit. TM, 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 TM. Someone TM. who knows how to write should write that. Um, uh, no, but your point about feudalism is really interesting because the way I see it is it's this whole like meritocratic structure that you have in the tech industry. It is kind of like a step up from feudalism, a step up in the sense that it's um, it feels better. It feels more fair. But it's also a step up in the sense that it's not abolishing feudalism, right? It's just like you t- you take this, the same structure and you tweak it a little bit. And the whole the whole point of this ideology, what justifies it, is that you have to have enough mobility so that a few people from you know like from uh, lower levels of society have to be able to climb up to the top. They have to be able to you know have this like wonderful entrepreneurial story where they go from you know being somewhat somewhat poor to being this like tech billionaire and you need a little bit of that. But the whole point of the structure, right. is just, it's, it's, you know, what meritocracy is originally is just this way of justifying this um, like innate, like feudalist like privilege. Um, and I think a lot of people in the tech industry have definitely been kind of bamboozled by that. They, they really do believe it. And maybe I think in the last few years, some of them are starting to realize what it actually is. Yeah. So can you, can you go into that a little bit more? Like what are the efforts to build worker power looking like? In the tech industry, yeah. So the, all, a lot of the stuff is very new. Um, tech Workers Coalition, I think they, I mean, they first started like a few years ago, but they didn't really have any formal efforts until I think late 2016, which is when a bunch of people joined after Bernie. Uh, sorry, after um, after the 2016 election, and when you know people realized that. No one's oh, mentioned the 2016 election in a while. I'm glad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's like it's no. it's pivotal to what's happened in, yeah. in tech is is the thing, and a lot of people who were pro Bernie. And who realized that Trump was now elected president? They're like, "Wow, shit! There's something really wrong with the world. I need to do more than just to go to my, you know, nice, comfy tech job." And a lot of them got involved with things like DSA and also Tech Workers Coalition. Um, and one of the, uh, I guess, like the the main early efforts that Tech Workers Coalition got involved in was this way of using the power that 
people working in um, higher up jobs in the tech industry had to try to make some change in a way that would help the people who needed it the most. So are you talking about, say, drives to unionize, just drives to unionize like with like between different companies, for example? Um, kind of. So it's more like focusing on people who aren't traditionally thought of as tech workers. So, you know, we usually talk about tech workers as software engineers, product managers, whatever. But there are all these people working in tech, working on these tech campuses that are kind of excluded from that. They the don't get money. killing the Bitcoin fields. Exactly. Kind no, of. that's literally it, kind right? Of, yeah. you, you have cafeteria workers, you have cleaners, you have bus drivers, security staff. Mm-hmm. All of these people, most of the time, they don't have the same kind of contracts. All the time, they are, they're not full-time employees. They're subcontracted contracted out. Right? Ah, okay. Yeah, and they don't have good protections. A lot of them can't even afford to live in the area. They have to, you know, take really shitty public transit in California for two hours every day to get to their minimum wage job. Normal. Completely normal yeah. and fine. <laughs> it's, it's a lovely I love, world. I love, te- I love techno-feudalism. <laughs> idea, yeah. idea for a game show, uh, family feudalism. Uh, <laughs> this category is something you would build a house out of. Do I see Watland Dorb? <laughs> That's a very specific reference. I don't get it. To, sorry. to Wall and Dorp. <laughs> very specific reference to a very specific... Preferred house building material of Middle Ages serfs. Uh, wow. It's like a kind of like papier-mâché that you build a house out of. Oh, yeah. It's um, made of mud and straw. It's, and- I'm, it's, it's, I'm obsessed with pri- the Primitive Technology YouTube channel. Where's this this guy and his millions of subscribers. Isn't and- that just the official Huawei YouTube channel? Well, it's a guy. Right? Anyway, it's fine. a guy in Australia, and he never talks, and he just wears a pair of shorts, and he's ripped as hell, or he's like cut as hell. He's not ripped. That's just everyone in Australia. Um, is. And then what he does is he like he'll like build a waddle and daub house out of clay, just like mm-hmm. by like you know using like handmade stone axes and stuff. <laughs> it's very. Now the Australians cool. walk past now like. Fuck me, where'd you get that futuristic shit? <laughs> um, anyway. Why don't you come over here and do racism like normal people? <laughs> Stop building houses of the future. Australian Elon Musk is just digging up some like clay and trying to make the brick of the future for his waddle and daub hut. <laughs> coming, up, coming up with technological innovations in racism. <laughs> We've created a new slur. <laughs> <laughs> it combines all the slurs from Gran Torino. <laughs> yeah, we've actually put all the put all the workers into one big union by enslaving them. <laughs> I mean, not that's not far off. Right? Yeah, I mean, uh, yes. Twenty eighteen <laughs> yeah. always brings you back down to earth with a horrible. Pump. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's pretty bad. So, I mean, one stat that I just think is incredible. So, in um in in some parts of the U.S., there's this like a uh, official. Uh, U.S. government um, low income thresholds, where it's like if you're below this threshold, then you qualify for affordable housing. Mm-hmm. And in the Bay Area, I mean, most places it's like it's not that high, right? And the Bay Area, for a family of four, it's 117,000. That is low income. If you're below that, you can qualify for like government. You yeah, know, because housing low- in the Bay Area costs an insane amount. Yeah, no, it's it's yeah. it's fucking incredible. And it's like uh, there's a stat lately that was released recently that said that um I think it was like 99.9 percent of restaurant workers would be unable to afford to like buy a house in the area and it's like well then they're just going to live elsewhere right and it's like you're you're creating this culture where because you're pouring so much money into tech and that's getting all these like software engineers and people like that to live in the area that's of course going to drive up all these house prices right so then you have people who are actually working at facebook or whatever or google on the campuses they're serving all these like tech bros serving them food cleaning 
cleaning their offices and yeah. they're unable to live anywhere near where they sh- where you know the people that they're serving are able to live and you're creating this like incredible just like yeah neo serfdom society right? becomes more and more like the capital from the hunger games movies <laughs> like, basically basically yeah bussing people in to jack everyone off and then bussing them back out again <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's gonna be like that's gonna be <laughs> yeah. the future isn't it yeah it's like every it's like everyone goes everyone goes to work at 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 the jacking off factory yeah um and then you know goes back it's to like the a waddle huge and trump hut. mural on the wall with a quote from the art of the deal <laughs> Sometimes you gotta jack a man off to eat a steak. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, you know, Rebecca Romaine was supposed to jack me off in 1992, but then she married John Stamos without telling me, and I think it was unfair that she backed out. John Stamos, very small penis. Everyone agrees. John, St- John, John Stamos is not a is not a billionaire like me. He has very few real estate investments. A bad choice by Rebecca Romaine. Very bad deal. Very bad deal marrying John Stewart. Yeah. So that that's is that the mural? Is that the is that the inspirational quote on yeah. the on the yeah. on the it's very long winded with lots of weird like punctuation and exclamation uh-huh. marks. And a yeah. lot of random capitalization. I love yeah. it. Oh yeah. That's that's the Donald J. Trump um jacking off factory that everyone in Silicon Valley has to work at now. Mm. Um because they're all weird libertarians. No, I mean that's not true well, though. Some some of them are. It's like you have you have the people who are like I guess who f- who subscribe to the Peter Thiel school of thought, right? And Peter Thiel is obviously a huge Trump backer. Dream you definitely well, have yeah, create this a prison ship full of coders in the bay because you can't be bothered to get anyone a visa. Do they they mix yeah. blood in their protein shakes every morning? <laughs> in their Soylent. Definitely like the top candidate. Like him and Elon Musk are both going to make cult. It's just like if we're talking about from Fallout, then Peter Thiel is going to be like the enclave, and Elon Musk is going to do the Brotherhood of Steel. And the Brotherhood of Steel sounds so much like a <laughs> well, gay it's club. From Fallout from the eighties. So I think we we've kind of got this image of this industry, which is, and I think the the best way to understand it almost is um, going back to my two favorite bros of history, Adorno and Horkheimer, talking about the dialectic of enlightenment mm-hmm. and how yeah. using yeah. sort yeah. of be, uh, using sort of reason and 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 sort of. Um, and, and attempting to sort of reason out all of our social structures, we were able to free ourselves from the shackles of feudalism, but just put ourselves in new shackles on the basis of stuff like concepts like meritocracy, which when they're interrogated for more than two minutes, um, completely fall apart on their own merits. Completely crack um, under pressure due to our enhanced interrogation techniques. Yes, exactly. <laughs> when you waterboard the concept of meritocracy. Yeah, hell yeah. Um, as so, we know from the marine guy, actually being waterboarded is fine. Actually, waterboarded, being waterboarded is cool. Actually, like did that you was, hear about the guy who waterboarded himself down the lips? <laughs> <laughs> I think I saw that on Twitter. Uh, yeah, it's so weird. It's where we see everything. Yeah, he's my he's my favorite online person. Like my my favorite part, my favorite thing about most British universities is that they'll do stuff like waterboard one another with port. Um. What? Really? What? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure where this is going. I went to one of the two ones and even I didn't see that. No, that's what I mean, is those two wouldn't do it. Yeah, it's like Durham. Yeah, so do that. So, shit. So, so that's the exactly the kind so, of place so where St. Andrews. I've, I've heard mm. stories about this. In York there was one and um it was just it were, these are all rumors, which are probably true. Um but David Cameron fucked a pig there too. Yeah, yeah. He just like he just went around like fucking just like all the meat. Um, the, the ancient, the ancient tradition. David David Cameron doing an inspirational pig fucking tour to schools. A pig so, Stay off drugs, kids. So 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 in York, like 
they be the people who are part of like the fake Bullingdon club. They like douse themselves in, you know, port and rum and stuff like that. Um, the funniest one I've heard is in Durham. Um, so Durham is filled with people who are like always, always resentful of the fact they never, they never got into Oxbridge. Um, so they kind of go to Durham for the kind of experience of like of, of it, but not quite getting there, and also knowing that it's not quite that. Um, so Same great taste, one hundred percent Oxbridge free. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently, what they did was they dressed up in like tail like tailcoats and stuff and they went to like one of the working men's clubs in central Durham oh, um, no. and, and started like, just, like trying to troll them yeah I mean that was pretty much she it she just got the like, shit kicked out of them right? I mean, pro- I mean pro- <laughs> probably I, I, I love that dressing up extra fancy to get my fucking head caved in by a bunch of very reasonable people I swear, and that, I swear was, and that, was, that was your first year at Oxford right yeah. you only did one year at they- yeah, no, I, I wasn't there for very long. I was I think, there was an immigration thing. Uh, yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> I think, I think <laughs> Durham is like a long game, like reality TV show where they just think, what if we put the dumbest posh people in the country in a town with Geordies for three years of their life? Like, what will happen? I think that's the... Well, people will get waterboarded with port. <laughs> yeah. And they're doing that to themselves. That's before they've even encountered the Geordies. Thing, that's the great thing. I, I'd say kind of what I like about... Um, because like Britain and American ruling classes are both like completely odious and venal and need to be overthrown immediately. Yeah, yeah. But the American ruling class has this idea that it's really earned its place. Mm, yeah, no, that's it. That's the it. British ruling class fetishizes the idea that it hasn't earned its place at all, <laughs> and that it's yeah. going to sort of just be as dumb as possible, as frequently as possible, and as frivolously as possible. Yeah, and I I do respect that more. <laughs> I mean, I I think no, that's actually a really really great um, way to characterize it. And I think. That is kind of why a lot of Americans and just like the whole American, you know, culture is that it's better because it is meritocratic, right? Because it's about people having actually earned their place without, like you said, like you were saying, without interrogating this idea of what it means to earn and um, whether that like their idea of what, uh, of whether they deserve something is just something that, you know, is shaped by what they've seen in popular culture by preconceived uh, biases. And yeah, I mean, this whole idea of meritocracy is one where it's like, it's just, like you're saying, it just completely falls apart, but it's good enough for now that it lets them perpetuate um, the, the kind of status quo. So what I, I kind of want to, and so I think we, we, we sort of, we're, we're talking about the sort of, in talking about the general sort of shape and almost like the psychoses of this industry, I kind of want to transition to where the bright spots are. Because one thing that's been occurring frequently in the kind of tech news is workers at Apple and Google and Facebook and stuff are um, they are agitating to not sell things like facial recognition services to the Department of Homeland Security and so forth. And as far as they can tell, many of these pushes have actually been successful, which I'll be perfectly honest, I'm kind of surprised by that. Yeah, no, that that's definitely um, something that's been very new, right, for this industry. It's basically unprecedented for this industry. This, this idea of... Um tech workers, you know, in, in the software industry, industry, deciding that they are actually workers for first and foremost, and that their interests lie with fellow workers and that they actually have some collective power as workers. That's not really something we've seen before. Usually people identify with their company, right? They're like, oh, I'm an employee at Google. I'll just do whatever Google wants me to do. And there's, there's very little um, history of people pushing back against that. And if they do, it's usually individual. And then they'll just get fired or they'll just quit. Like James and- Damore. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, he was, yeah. He was fired for being too high IQ. He was too <laughs> yeah. smart. He was too smart for Google, and now he and that guy who got evicted from his parents' house are both correspondents at Infowars. Yeah, <laughs> of course, it, getting a oh, job man. at Patreon. Um, so no, the, they're, they're, they're Info they're their Infowars comedy podcast now is oh, James dear. James Demore and Michael Rotundo. <laughs> Infowars is a comedy podcast. Come on. So uh, so actually, so I was at um, Left Forum, which is this uh, big conference in New York, New York City. And um, there is a political standpoint. <laughs> Forums. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's pro. It's pro, it's pro something awful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we so T- Tech Workers Coalition had a table, and um, I, I was there for quite a bit of it. And at one point, this guy comes up to us and is like, "Oh, so you guys are for like building worker power in tech? Do you mean like James Demore?" And I was like. No, <laughs> not exactly. James, uh, do less of that, please. <laughs> Wait, what I actually love about this specifically is that they refuse to sell Homeland Security uh, like facial recognition software, right? Which would make it hilarious because I mean, that could mean that the downfall of ICE will literally be that they've employed people who are such racist Neanderthals that all brown people look the same to them. <laughs> Without the aid of computer technology, there's nothing that they can do to stop a wave of Maoist third worldism. Oh God. Yeah. So oh. I guess to go into the the whole ice thing. So um, a lot of this stuff, I, I guess just to, just to clarify, a lot of this stuff is still ongoing and some of it has been successful, but we don't really know what's going to happen. The most successful recent case was um, Google. They had this thing called um, Project Maven, where they had a contract with uh, the Pentagon to provide basically like AI for uh, processing drone images. This is very Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> it's extremely, it, yeah, Project it's, Maven. Snake, yeah, we found yeah. it about Project Maven. What did you say, Otacon? <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, they, they love having these like stupid internal names for everything. It was just like, it was really annoying when I was there. I, when I was there, I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. You know, I'm part of this really cool like military thing. <laughs> what kind of yeah, like, did you say that was? <laughs> it's like it's like that and, and, and like climbing walls. How, how similar is the Silicon Valley stuff to like digital media? So like a lot of the things that you say about your experience mm-hmm. working in these companies, it kind of echoes the experiences that I've had working in digital media mm-hmm. companies. And the mentality, because both the companies that I used to work for, um, one of them is currently undergoing like its own unionization. The other one sort of succeeded, but it didn't. Um, the bosses were like very good at like crushing a lot. But e- even in both those situations, like the process of getting to the point where they could ratify a union came at the cost of jobs. It came at the cost of like getting. Re- it came at the cost of like severing relationships with people because it was all built on this idea that like we exist in a system like the, the workspace that we have is it is its own contained system and you don't need anything external like workers unions because you can trust us you know we have snack rooms we will give you like yeah you know we massages. live in a society yeah we live in a society we'll give you we, the, live, we live in a fun cuddly experience economy yeah. and I, I remember like a lot of the Come stuff that, pit. A, lo- a lot of the stuff that like i used to get as a staff member um were just things like you know yeah we got like climbing we got opportunities to go climbing walls um, there was like giveaway prizes where you could go abroad if you've like got X number of like hits on posts and stuff. And a lot of it was modeled on like technology, right? Uh, it was yeah. like this idea, these, so these guys who kind of really liked Silicon Valley were like, how do we apply this stuff to, to media? I sort of feel like in some senses, the whole tech industry is like so much worse because it's been allowed to. Like at a certain point, media companies like have to be media companies. They can't just like go full tech. But if you're a tech company, you can go full tech. Um, and you'd be never be, go you know, full tech. Be, <laughs> waiting for you to fucking say that. The excess is wanting to. The excess has just like become so much worse, and I imagine yeah. like how 
that must impact on workers. Yeah, I think that that's a really interesting case. I mean, I've I've been pretty impressed at all the unionization that's been happening within a lot of these like these media companies, right? And a lot of them are like like you're saying modeled on tech companies in some ways, but mm. it's a bit different because I think for one there's um you have to separate the material factors and the ideological factors. And I think in tech the ideological factors are a little bit different and they're really strong, right? And it's like there there's a reason that like, you know, diversity in the tech industry is so shit and that it's probably not going to get better like anytime soon, it's just because the people who are there, they're so convinced that they're so brilliant that they got everything um, because they deserved it. And it's because women don't understand video No, games. yeah, exactly. W- women yeah. don't. They're just, they're just not good at it, right? Yeah, like, no, exactly. And like, if, if you hire more women, you're just lowering the bar. Like there was yeah. an actual venture capitalist who said this in a recorded interview. Women can't oh. double jump. <laughs> I don't know. What, oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, women just don't understand the subtleties of epic meal time. No. Women just don't. Women just aren't able to hadoken. Like, oh, fuck. I don't know what that means. Um, Sorry, but, but wooden. It's a gaming reference. <laughs> yeah, no. See, gaming's, for, gaming's for guys, yeah, actually. No, it's definitely. the only space I ever felt safe as a man. What would you do if you were on a 22 kill streak and then suddenly you started menstruating? <laughs> it would be a disaster. <laughs> yeah, you'd call, okay. You wouldn't call in a tactical nuke. You'd call in tactical chocolate. <laughs> I, oh, oh wow. that's what it is. That's what it is. I've just realized something. All tech workers, all like of these like sort of tech bros, their image of what women are is just Kathy from the comic strip Kathy. Are you are you all familiar with that? No, no. no. Okay, anyway, sorry, Riley. I had a brilliant name <laughs> in the comic strip Kathy. I had a brilliant simile, and you all slept on it. I'm and sorry. There are going to be We're... several of our listeners who are really, really enjoying that right now. I was now. just, oh, I'm I was sure, just I'm thinking sure of are. Canadian tech bros calling it people's duration. <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> anyway, yeah, okay. So this so is, this is, <laughs> this is going in weird directions. <laughs> we have we have such a great show. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. So I, ideological material factors. So I think the material factors in tech are quite different just because there is so much money to go around, right? Because these companies have been so good at capturing so much wealth that they're able to pay their employees ridiculous like Some monstrous sums. So yeah, yeah. The ones that the ones who are necessary for production. The ones where it's like it's kind of hard to find people who can do that sort of job and the ones who are um, directly feeding into production into what like generates the wealth that these companies capture. So they've been very good at like showering their employees with so much money and benefits. But at the same time, that's still a fraction of what these employees actually produce for the company in a way, right? Like collectively, um, all the software engineers, for example, at Google are making a lot more than they're getting. And that's... Podcasting. It is in- indeed. And like that is what's causing a really interesting... Um, like political and social composition of the workforce. And, and you have you have people who just feel like there's no need for them to unionize because they don't understand what benefits a union would bring them because they're making so much money. They're, they have such great like benefits, such great salaries. It's just like, just weird so to them. Short-termist almost. It, I guess, yeah, yeah. I guess, one of my big questions, this is something I've been asking myself for a while. And it's, it's, it's a question I've never come to a satisfying answer to which is that if the employees of Facebook were to rise up and seize the means of production at Facebook, what would they seize? Yeah, I know that's, that it is a great question. Pokes. I think, what? Mark <laughs> I don't know if that exists cool anymore. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> they, would, they would seize all the segways. In your opinion, what would they seize? Yeah, so I guess just a- um, All like go- your aunt's profiles who just <laughs> like comment on all your photos going like, I haven't seen you in ages. Dot, You've dot, grown. Dot. 
With all the weird old people ellipses in them. Taking taking quizzes about like what what Only Fools and Horses character they are or whatever. I've never seen Only Fools and Horses. Yeah, well. Nor is Wendy though. No, I no, haven't. We don't get your fucking reference. How's it feel, <laughs> bitch? Um yeah, so so I, I guess like nothing. to to relate a bit to what you're saying before about um like why why would tech workers even want to unionize? Um, in this case, in the most recent case with, you know, Project Maven with with ICE, it's been for ethical reasons. It's been people who are usually somewhat progressive in their politics, realizing that the world that they're living in, the the companies that they're contributing to are doing things, are complicit in things that they're not happy with. So with ICE, you know, it was the whole, the videos of the children being detained in cages that really spurred all this reaction among workers at um, Microsoft and a few other companies as well that have ties to these agencies. And so they realized we don't actually like this world that we're building. We're going to try to get our our management to do something about it. And that's still, I mean, that's still ongoing. So but. what we can, I'd like to go into that in a little more detail. So what, what so what, 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 pro, what Project Maven was, was what was, it was AI facial recognition software. No, right? so Project Maven was for drone, drones. For drones. Yeah, surveillance drones. AI, AI drones. Yeah. Sorry, not but facial what recognition. What could be bad AI. about drones? AI, it was, it was AIs for drone imaging, right? Basically, yeah. And it was going to be used by ICE to... No, no. So that's no, a different ICE. That's a different case. So the Google case was right, um, a let, few let's months... Get it, let's yeah. get it straight. Let's, Google let's, case let's help was us get it straight. a few weeks ago, and that actually was somewhat successful in that um, there was an open letter and a bunch of Google engineers quit, and they ended up getting Google to cancel that contract with the Pentagon. But that, I mean, that's still like one project. And it's like, you know, the U.S. military industrial complex is much bigger than just like one contract. Um, the ice no. thing, <laughs> sorry to break it to anyone. The ice thing was, um, that was more recent. That was a couple of weeks ago. And with that, the main focus was on Microsoft because Microsoft was supplying ice with a bunch of different digital services mm. and Microsoft tried to downplay it. They're like, oh, we're only giving them access to like email. It looks like you're trying to set up a concentration camp for Mexicans. <laughs> <laughs> Do you need some help with that? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that's different. I mean, it's different, but it's interesting that these have all happened around the same time, right? And where it's like, we're suddenly getting all of this press around. And I think it's partly just because, you know, you're just raising consciousness within the tech industry, an industry that traditionally hasn't really had much awareness of this idea of like mm-hmm. class consciousness at all. Like, it's not a thing you're taught. Like, I remember, I never learned anything about unions or like, what 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 does this sort of thing mean? Like, what does it mean to build class power? That's not a concept I've ever come so across. Something you associate with like coal mining and like, it doesn't, yeah, you, know, yeah, you, don't, yeah, you don't think yeah. of it as being like computer programmers or whatever. Yeah, it feels like a relic of an earlier era. And um, if there's one thing that like, you know, software engineers love, it's just like this idea of newness, this idea that they're special, oh, yeah. that this is like new, they're one, breaking new ground. One thing that strikes me, and we sort of talked about it in the beginning was, because it kind of feeds into this question of why don't we kind of view uh, when we talk about class power, when we talk about like unionization, why don't we think about like people who work in you know technology or work in any sort of like office setting? Yeah. Uh, you know, why is it always just, like coal miners and um, podcasters, podcasters, <laughs> obviously, uh, and like you know See, tube drivers and stuff like to, that? To the listener, we you may be listening to this several days in advance, but we've recorded the last three episodes one after the other, so we're still really thinking about what we were talking about yesterday, which was. Why is there this liberal conception that the working class must be smeared with Shit, cold that dust? That was yesterday, wasn't it? Jeez, yeah. I'm so tired. Um, yeah, and I was thinking, like, I was thinking about when I also had my fascination with like Silicon Valley and tech, and I really wanted to like work and be a coder and stuff. A lot of it is because of like this culture of like hero worship. Yeah, right? yeah. It's like this idea that so when I when my first job was as a front end coder. Um, and I knew nothing about coding, so I took this like very, very quick course, and a lot of that um, 
I was surprised how much of this kind of very remedial course in programming was so rooted in like the heroes of the tech world. So it wasn't Elon Musk, but it was like Mark Zuckerberg. It was um, Jack Dorsey from Twitter. <laughs> uh, it was um, Steve Jack, Dor- Jack Dorsey, fam- famously, famously like like the second after Albert Speer, the second greatest architect of Nazi infrastructure. Uh, Steve Jobs is always one that shows up yeah. in like those types of slideshows. It's this idea yeah. that like you are so, and also one thing that I've noticed where this culture really permeates is on Instagram. Um, you know, where all these like mo- like these tech motivational speakers, right? The ones who like push fuel and like weird types of protein powder. And they all like work in like coding or graphic design or like, you know, the at home like front end stuff. And they all kind of just say that, oh, you know, um, I learned this myself. And, you know, you don't need to go to, you know, you don't need to go to university or college or anything because look at like Mark Zuckerberg and look at Steve Jobs and all that stuff. And like, there really is this very evident culture of like hero worship, which undermines the idea that in order to achieve like, long-term sustainable goals you need more than just like yourself and a keyboard right it's a type of culture that like they don't it it, it's not talked about much and partly that's because it's like been actively pushed out as you've kind of mentioned within the infrastructure of silicon valley but i think it like speaks to something much much higher about just like labor like what labor markets are and the Mm -hmm. idea of like you know everyone being like self-employed freelancers and contractors and all that stuff and that's really you know, the whole like, idea of like middle class freelancers and contractors, that always rooted in technology, right? Um, I don't know, does that make any sense? Or Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think there's something interesting about like this idea of what labor markets are and how they function. Because what I've, I've seen a lot of people in the tech industry just say to anyone who's not doing well, you know, if, if you're broke, you can't make ends meet, just learn to code and you'll get a job. And it's just, it has this way of like valorizing the labor market as this determinant of what is good and what is bad, right? And it's like, you have people who've, or in the tech industry saying, oh, don't bother doing an arts degree, just do STEM because that's where the money is. As if that's like a good reason to, mm. uh, like as if that's like, you know, the labor market is brilliant at allocating right, resources. We move beyond art now. Art is bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Because, no more of that. Well, because if you just, if you just, do, and the idea that just doing STEM is, like, if you just look at the fucking Juicero. I know, I know, I know. Then, right? yeah. I now, I, I don't, I don't want to go too much into the yeah, Juicero yeah, because yeah. we may have an anniversary episode coming up where at, we're going to talk about it a little bit more. At the end of the day, all these humanities students, you know, they can talk all their smug shit on all their podcasts all they like, but could they have come up with the revolutionary <laughs> idea of squeezing juice out of a bag? Yeah, I mean, I think... And to that, thing, I yeah. say no. <laughs> yeah. All those people all had STEM degrees. They all had yeah, prestigious yeah, yeah, yeah. STEM well, degrees. Yeah. They were all former CEOs. They all had beautiful, perfect, immaculate CVs. And they got together and the best thing they could do on bone, (laughs) the best thing they could do was, you know, invent nothing. I mean, this goes back to what you're saying about Adorno and Horkheimer, right? It's just like this pursuit of fucking love hearing that (laughs) this, this pursuit of like reason and rationality as if, and, and in this way we've kind of like abdicated, well, Silicon Valley is like abdicated um, any sort of like moral judgment to the market. Right. And, and that just means like investors, like venture capitalists are the ones funding this. They're the ones who are saying, okay, yeah, you want to you sell a $700 juicer? Sure, take my fucking $100 million and build it. And that is why you have this like catastrophic waste of money that like, I mean, the way I see Silicon Valley is like, so I've started trying to like popularize this uh, idea of uh, abolition when it comes to Silicon Valley. We should <laughs> yeah. abolish Silicon Valley, right? And oh, yeah. the reason that's important is because it's structurally Wait, fucked. Episode title, Abolish Silicon Valley. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, it's, it's just, it's structurally fucked, right? Like just because of the way money works in the industry and not just within the industry, but like the role that the tech industry has under capitalism and the way right now it's like, it's, it's this way for the, the wealthy to kind of like guard their wealth in this really like dispersed way. And if you think about, you know, how this happened maybe in um, like an earlier era, right? If you, you have a lot of money, you don't want people, you have like, you know, a ton of food, a ton of resources. You don't want the rabble to come get it. You'll hire like guards to guard your food for you. And then that's kind of like shifted. Now what we have is we have this new guard class is like the people working in Silicon Valley who are, you know, they're, they're, they don't really know what they're doing a lot of the time. They're just doing what they're told. They're getting paid a lot of money for it, but they're essentially just like increasing returns of capital, right? They're, they're making it so that rich people can get more return for their money. And they're also at the same time creating this like corporate um, neoliberal hellscape where people at the bottom are just like, you know, bargaining with algorithms to try to survive. Like Deliveroo actually announced this thing recently where they're just going to basically change the pay structure for Deliveroo riders. And, oh, this can only be good. Yeah, and it's like, and what it means is that delivery writers are, for the most part, going to make less money, and it's like hard for them to the, bargain the with that. Structure is 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 what that there's. I imagine they've they've introduced it under the guise of flexibility. Yeah, yeah, it's always yeah. about flexibility, right? Yeah. And it's like, and it's, it's what people always yeah. forget. Yeah, is that, they can bend you into an even more convenient well, position to fuck you in well, the ass. It kind yeah. of, kind of, yeah. Because it's that if you ever introduce flexibility into a system where you have unequal power flexibility will always redound to the benefit of the more powerful because then yeah. they can flex it. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. But that's, I think, I think that's a huge, I always think it, it's just sort of slightly, this is sort of overlooked sometimes, which is that one of the main functions of the tech industry is to, per, is to perpetuate this myth that the workers and the owners are part of this same team and that yeah, we're yeah. all, we're not, we're, we don't have opposed interests we're all working together in an organized way to solve collective problems. Build an incredibly epic, hot, like vacuum tunnel. <laughs> I fucking hate that shit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah, it's, yeah. it's this idea that, oh no, well, Elon Musk, from Elon Musk down to the guy who commutes two hours in to cater at their, you know, all gluten free organic cafeteria. To clean up all the remains of people who have been crushed by pianos. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like, yeah, but that's, that's it. That's all, it. It's a living. But that they're all in it together. Yeah. And yeah. that the fact that we can say, no, all of our oppositions, all of where our interests clash, we can sort of smooth over those divides with an advanced enough algorithm. Yeah, It's sort yeah. of a sleight of hand trick. It is. And I think what makes it worse is like the, the material dimension there as well, because a lot of these tech companies, they'll give out stock or stock options to their workers. And it's usually only just like the, the software engineers or the product managers, the people who are directly working on production. Yeah, the but, guy cleaning up the piano squash remains isn't getting any of that no, shit. Nope, no, exactly. <laughs> they'll, they'll get fired as soon as they're done cleaning up the piano remains. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but the point is... if there is, are no piano remains to clean up, then why do we need you? Exactly, exactly. It's just efficiency. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, like, it's like yeah. you, you see like when Tesla announced layoffs, like everyone who was laid off was like, I was just so honored know, to work here for it's even like, 10 it's minutes. It's like incredible like bootlickery, right? Uh, oh, and fuck. So it's weird, but it's like, it's partly the, the fact that, you know, if you're getting stock in this company, you feel yeah. like it's yours. Like, but it's, it's also the psychological element because of the way people talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, you, you know, you're, you're excited to be building a company together. And yeah. I remember I was reading the Elon Musk biography, um, in like 2016 oh, yes. and it was like, it was Idea a very, a future episode. have you guys read it? Cause it's, no. it's like a, it's a flattering biography, but it's good. Like if you read it with a critical lens, I wish I could read it again because it's, it's fascinating. If you read about, um, people who worked at like SpaceX, right. Where like they feel like they don't think of it in terms of um, class. They don't think of it in terms of their workers. And Elon Musk 
is the one who gets all the credit. They're just like, this is such a cool project. I'm so excited to work on it. And they've been kind of like distracted by how Imagine cool the problem is. Space. I mean, at the time it was like, it was actually really cool. Like the early days of SpaceX, they were building things that no one had really done before, okay. except I guess NASA, right? But they just, <laughs> they didn't think of it like that way. I don't, I don't even know what it was, but they were just so distracted by the problem. a private problem. company was doing it. That's the key thing. Yeah. No, it's like, they just didn't think of it that way, right? It's like, that was just an element that kind of escaped what they were working on. It was like, they were just totally all in on the product. And they're like, we're going to make this product the best that we can. They didn't even have time to consider the, you know, the elements that, you know, maybe we on the left would think of. They just we didn't know. It was only the Soviet Union that could murder dogs with the vacuum of space. But <laughs> listen to this. <laughs> I mean, there was actually a really good thread on Twitter, which is like comparing Silicon Valley yeah. to the Soviet oh, Union. Oh, yeah, that was good. Yeah. That was good. We've, we, we've retweeted the fuck yeah. out of it. As a, as a, as a lo longtime Russia resident, it, does, it resonated <laughs> in a big way. Because yeah. the Soviet yeah. Union never ended. That's the other thing you have to remember. Well, it's that, it just got worse. But that's the interesting thing, right? Like, is that for all the good the Soviet Union did, and it was considerable, um, the thing to remember is that its faults were, I think, based on the over-centralization of power among what essentially became a state corporation. And you can see the yeah. same thing happening yep. in Silicon Valley. The Definitely. same sort of, the same Star kinds Elon of- Elon Musk. The same, <laughs> oh, the same kind of unity of almost a sort of kitsch way of looking at the world, the sort of very distorted, sort of over-metric- um, and this sort of same like valorization of failure as success, mm, yeah, the sort of wow. twisting of the idea that there can be a sort of a, a, a moral judgment that can be made that isn't just sort of bendable to the whims of power. The valorization like, of success for me is the wildest thing about Silicon Valley because mm. you have all these people like you're saying who believe in this like massive meritocracy like, oh, I make so much money because what I do is so valuable. But most of these companies don't even make any fucking money. They're all no, funded by venture no. capital. Like, yeah. Facebook loses money, doesn't it? Like no, Uber, Facebook's doing well. No, it it's, used to lose money. Yeah, probably. yeah. Uber loses money. Like all these, like yeah. Uber is like supposed to be like the great market disruption success story. I mean, I think it's it's a little more complicated than that because some of these companies are losing money because it's like a strategy, right? And it's like okay. the point is not it. They think that they're successful be, not because of the money, but because they managed to build something great, and the money is kind of like just justifies it and validates in a really weird way. Like it's a really yeah. twisted ideology. It doesn't make sense. And I've also seen, and you see kind of like the inverse of it when um, failure is also valorized. Yeah. Right? There's this culture of saying that like, oh, it's, it's okay if you fail as an entrepreneur because you learn. And I remember this really incredible case where there's this company, I'm not going to name them, but um, they raised, I think, 7 million and they sold for less than a million. And they, they, okay, so here's the thing. They sold to a company that actually offered to buy my company, which is why I was kind of like laughing because we got the same offer as them and we didn't raise any money, like oh, comparable okay. to what they raised. So this company, yeah, you know, they sold for much less than they raised, which means obviously none of the employees got shit. And most of the investors lost some of their money too. But then the way the founder phrased it, she was like, um, you know, we, we did our best, but like we ultimately we couldn't take off, but I'm really, I really enjoyed the ride along the way. And the best part was that all these VCs were lining up to say, you know, she was a great, she was a great founder. If she ever does another company, I'm going to write her the first check. You know, she's like, oh, wow. she did a great job. She landed the ship. And it's, it's, it's incredible. A it's a landed the ship in yeah. a huge pile of shit. Just like, <laughs> yeah. She landed it. It's a, it's a carnival of idiocy, yeah. but, and it would be funny if it weren't sort of churning people into dust underneath it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of people failed early in their careers, you know, some people, they told them, you're never going to go to art school. Next thing you know, Chancellor of a Thousand Year Eye. <laughs> <God. laughs> 
Oh dear. Yeah. I mean, the thing is like, it would be funny if it weren't for the fact that this was like, this is actual real resources being, you know, like funneled towards, yeah, funneled towards this really disgusting world that's just pissing it all away when it could actually be used for better things. It's so easy to feel hopeless if you forget that there are these glimmers of sort of class consciousness and worker consciousness and whether that's happening among the caterers and bus drivers or among the coders who sort of are beginning to wake up to the fact that most of what they produce is just being taxed away from them by their boss. Um, Taxation is theft. (laughs) And Uh, yeah, taxation is theft when it comes to your fucking boss. That and that they're I don't able, pay the boss tax. I pay the home tax. And that they're able, <laughs> and that they're able to resist. Either they're able to kind of begin to think of themselves as a labor force enough mm-hmm. to resist on a moral basis things that they find repugnant. Yeah, no, it's. I think it's like pretty inspiring. And wh- what I found is that um, so like I so when I'm on Twitter, sometimes I'll just like tweet things that are kind of like radical. And, <laughs> hang on, let me finish. I so tweet. I'll, I'll tweet things about like, you know, tech workers mm-hmm. needing to like resist, right? And it's like some people who are like actually in tech do follow me on Twitter, mostly from like when I was still in tech. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the last few days, so like I, uh, I was I was on a Tisky Sour on Monday and there was like a clip of me saying that like tech workers are workers basically and they need okay. to realize that they're... Um, their interests lie with like fellow workers, right? Not, not like their bosses necessarily. Mm. And I've seen like among the retweets, there have been people who are like actually in tech working at some of these big tech companies. And it's like, that's just really exciting. The fact that they're comfortable enough, like publicly retweeting the stuff and that they, you know, they seem to believe it. And so it's starting to happen. Uh, I mean, that's just like anecdotal. It's kind of hard to get like actual stats for this. No one's like calling up tech workers and being like, do you think of oh, yourself as a worker? But it's like, it's starting to happen. How are you feeling about your current unionization service? Yeah. And I mean, actually, so going back to what you're saying about like Facebook users seize, or Facebook employees seizing the means of production, I think that's a really interesting question. And the way to answer that is like, you have to look at it like broader, more structurally, because what is Facebook right now? Like we, let's not think of Facebook as a product because that's like, that's almost um, like a too myopic way of looking at it. Facebook is um, is like a gatekeeper right now in this in the global value chains of commodity production because they control Facebook and Google together control I think like two thirds of all digital advertising that's going on in the United States and that means they serve really key roles in just like commodity production they're essentially taking a rent right they're like extracting rent from these value chains anytime someone buys something that gets advertised on Facebook in some way right like part of that money which maybe could have gone to the labor if they had like the people actually making these products if they had more power is instead going to these companies at the top of these chains just extracting rent and so if we think about it in terms of that then it's like what what are you see like what's what are the means of production right and it's like it gets really complicated because because it's an advertising company it's not directly about producing things it's about um the distribution and it's like we kind of need to um update our understanding of how this works because i know i know like marks talked a little about um you know, the fact that uh, the costs of like advertising, whatever are, you know, they're not directly part of the, of production. They're part of like distribution in the market. And it's, that just like makes it really hard for us to think about this in a Marxist lens. You have to like update that a little bit and figure out how do you deal with these big tech companies who are like really changing the world and changing the way the economy works in this way that just like, you know, Marx could never have predicted probably. Well, it's Cause that's the weird thing is by seizing on an entirely unnecessary element of production, right? Like, because marketing only occurs when overproduction occurs, mm-hmm. and then you need to rely on pure f- commodity fetishism to sort of distribute your products. Yeah. Well, for you, Facebook, I would never have bought a spinning jenny. Because you can't, <laughs> because you can't rely on use value. Yeah. 
but then again, one like Facebook, like for all of its faults, like Facebook does provide something that people consider valuable. Yeah, yeah. It provides for it provides a a stable way to stay in touch yeah. with people from your life. Yeah. It provides the album that you might need, you know, when you it, when you bust. It provides Spain 08. It pro- always, always there when you need it. It provides the me. It provides. It provides boomer memes. It provides baby boomers with important ways to share about how um, Donald Trump is going to put Obama in Guantanamo Bay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. And, it, 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 and like the endless minions, minions like meme troves. Massive shout out to the Twitter account at Absurd Conserver Memes, which is <laughs> one of my absolute <laughs> favorites. And also oh, shout out to Cursed Boomer Images. Oh yeah, that's another good one. Uh, um, no, but it's, yeah, yeah. it's but it's is that Facebook on the back of and this again it's is because it's all full of contradictions mm-hmm. on the back of this thing that's totally unnecessary and enabled by something by marketing which is a pernicious force mm-hmm. is able to provide a service to people that they value yeah and so I think the question is how do how can you organize labor power yeah to excise the marketing from Facebook. And then simply provide people the infrastructure to stay connected with one another, which they value. I mean, that's a billion dollar question, right? And that that is, you're right, like that is the right question. How do you separate the the good parts of the technology produced by these companies from their just like really shitty business model? And and, and that's a question that can apply to basically all of these companies, right? And I remember so when when Uber got its uh, TFL license revoked, um, like last September, and I remember just like thinking about in terms of, you know, Uber as a technology is kind of useful because it's about coordinating things, right? But right now it's just, it's being used in a way that is not good for most of us. Um, yeah, it's right. like not, not good for the drivers. And for us as citizens, it means we're relying on this like network of, um, yeah, like individual cars when we should be really building better public transit. So we don't need this as much in the first place, right? It's like you have to figure out a way to like extract the good parts of this technology from the bad parts. And for that, you do need worker power. You need people in the tech industry who know how these platforms work, who know what they should be doing um, for, to be able to figure out like what can you build in its place. And that's something where it, it feels like you need on some level um, some sort of like government uh, to like get involved in some way, but it's like hard to know how. And you also need people who are in these industries to yeah, to like unionize, right? And to actually like use technology for good for everyone. For me, this is what's so good about the current political hellscape that we inhabit is because like people in these industries are waking up to the idea that they can actually just change this themselves without the government if they like yeah, hold yeah. their own companies to ransom. Because before they were like, well, if I just vote for the Democrats, everything will be fine. Whereas now <laughs> you can see that like the Republicans are like immigrant concentration camps and the, yeah. the Democrats are like maybe a bit less ice, maybe... Vanilla ice. Well, they're, they're like, well, let's be civil to each other. Right? Yeah. That's what they're saying. Yeah. Like, they're completely just like losing the threat. And it's just like the total collapse of the center ground right now. And no, you're right. Like it's- Put a it mural could of all- Justin Trudeau in the child. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's awful, but at the same time, it's opening up new possibilities. And this is almost like, I don't want to sound too like accelerationist, but maybe this is the only way. Like the only way out well, is like through. This right? is what it took is that, yeah. is that, is under, is that under successive sort of, center left and center right, but fundamentally liberal governments. Because Cameron was a liberal, George Bush was a liberal, Clinton was liberal, Obama was liberal, Blair was liberal, all these people were liberals. Is that funk fundamentally there was a there was a voter contingent that was basically kept comfortable in the middle classes. This sort of subaltern class has never has never been comfortable. And the and the and the the, the accelerationist case is that you have to make the middle classes uncomfortable. You have to shock them somehow. 
And so I, I don't think waterboard the middle classes with porn. And I think, and, and it, I'm not saying that ICE is in any way worthwhile or justifiable, but one of the facts of ICE and one of the facts of the excesses of the use of ICE and ICE's role as a rogue agency has been to um, push ordinary liberals who would consider themselves apolitical beyond the pale and force them to become political. I imagine many of these coders who are taking action against ICE, which we have to remember, was doing all of this shit under Obama too. Mm. Um, but the, the sort of gross excesses of it has mm. forced them that, to feel they have to take action within their workplaces. Yeah. And Every time you get a juice in a pub, 25 cubes, abolish ICE. <laughs> <laughs> there's, like, there's like 50 mil of juice in that glass. Don't think I don't know. Yeah. I think I haven't noticed. You ain't fooling me with those cubes, homeboy. I, th- I think then in that case, your policy proposition, abolish Silicon Valley, is downright reasonable. I mean, the way I would say it is like, the, it's not just about like, you know, fucking nuking the region or something, right? Like, that's not no, what I mean. Not rule it out. <laughs> that's not what I mean when I say abolish Silicon Valley. What I mean is the point is to restructure society and the, the economy in such a way that the excesses that we see with Silicon Valley are not possible, right? It's like, mm-hmm. it's a fundamental transformation of the economy because the reason Silicon Valley is so bad right now, it's not, it's not like it came out of nowhere, right? This is just like, um, you know, a microcosm that uh, amplifies the problems with cap- capitalism. And mm-hmm. so, you know, if you want to abolish Silicon Valley, well, no, you got to change like, a lot of things. Yeah, what are these problems with capitalism? <laughs> are there any fundamental contradictions to capitalism? <laughs> we should do an episode on this. <laughs> We guys, do you think maybe that like capitalism is not that great? <laughs> Holy shit! I just realized something. Fuck. Um, okay. Play Silicon Valley with Nature Valley. <laughs> everyone's everyone's just making granola. <laughs> Don't be an anarcho primitivist. Someone asked on the trash future curious cat if we're anarcho primitivists, and I was like, no, of course we're not. Absolutely not, dipshit. Every every anarchist's parents have a zone one flat that's very swanky. Do not trust people who say they're anarchists. Stop subtweeting people on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Nate, edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so Wendy, thank you very much for coming out to the Caliphate today. Yeah, it's and, been a pleasure. Um, thank you for having me and helping us out with this. Uh, the lads. Thank you for being here. And football's coming home. It's coming home. It's coming home. It's coming. I still don't really know what it's that means, coming, but okay. <laughs> football's coming home. When, when, when football turn around to you and say, Daddy, I'm coming home. <laughs> Hand smashing nut button. We're going to get cocks by when, Croatia. When, when you, when you so. nut, but football keeps sucking. Uh, <laughs> I know that the, the, uh, the hand should be smashing a button that says knighthood. <laughs> no, knighthood for Jordan Pickford, though. Oh, hell yeah. Hand of Jord. Not to hell be confused yes. with Jordan Peterson. <laughs> Jordan Pickfordson? Jordan, Jordan Make Pickford sure picked a peck of pickled Peterson. before criticizing the net of another. Um. <laughs> Consider the lobster with its enormous Actually, claws. Actually, in attempting to put the ball in the goal, you're merely conforming to the feminization of society. <laughs> <laughs> I, actually, I actually went through a Jordan Peterson phase. I'm sorry to admit. Oh, this episode's not over then. <laughs> oh, yes. Slam it into oh, oh, like, what, what was your favorite rule? No, so it wasn't that. It was like, it was ages ago, back before, like, he, you know, wormed his way into public consciousness. Wait, like, I, I you watched. You were into Jordan Peterson before he was cool? <laughs> you're an OG. You're a hipster of Jordan Peterson. I think this was like 2016, and okay. it, I watched like a bunch of his videos on YouTube, and. 
I was like, okay, it's interesting. Back when he was doing like unboxing and like, <laughs> and, like epic bacon challenges. He was like, like, I'm a, I'm unboxing a new gender. I hope it's one of the only two that there are. <laughs> um, I'm gonna eat 14 cans of whipped cream <laughs> to demonstrate why women are inherently weak. I'm going to eat more cans of whipped cream than any woman in the workplace ever could. Uh, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> so oh wait, God. what did you see in him? I'm gonna uh, prank my mom. <laughs> Jordan Peterson Bamberchera. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan Peterson just slapping his fat mom. What? <laughs> Jordan uh, Peterson's pedophile uncle Vito. <laughs> oh God. Uh, uh, okay, no. So I just oh. I watched like some lectures that he recorded. Right, it was like him talking about myths and society and gender. And I remember at the time, okay, this is, it's kind of sad, but like I was going through a phase where I just felt like I needed to read more and like learn more about the world. That's and how he gets you. That's how he yeah. gets you. He so, gets yeah, you at the yeah. vulnerable stage. Yeah. No, but I was lucky in that I was watching those and I was re- like watching other philosophy videos, but at the same time I started reading like left stuff. Okay. So, uh, okay. And then I was like- You were trying like, to be like the true centrist, right? <laughs> I didn't even know like what he was ideologically. I just, yeah. I didn't know. I just, someone recommended his videos to me. I was like, okay, I'll check them out. You're taking a like, holistic approach. You no, know, I was like, yeah. I want to understand more like social science, humanity stuff. Cause I had never done any, any of the stuff. In I mean, you study lobsters. <laughs> Did you hear about this philosopher um, who I think is very interesting and he kind of like, he kind of gets everything really well. His name is Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, have you ever tried DMT? Actually, <laughs> you I think- my mind. I think Wendy hit on the best description of Jordan Peterson inadvertently because you said like, I was trying to get into reading more and then I discovered Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson is totally the philosopher for people who've just heard of reading. Hang on, there are these things and you kind of open them and there are words. They're like the funny shapes inside. No, it's because it's because everyone who reads him is, is always like usually a STEM person. And so they've never yeah, like heard yeah. of social science yeah, or that's philosophy it, that's before. It, that's it. And so like, oh my God, he just yeah. invented society. Yeah, it's like, it sounds deep. If you are like, if you're, just, du- if you're like dumb as shit. Yeah, well, it's like he's yeah. doing a very shallow understanding. Super long tweet called 12 Rules for Life. Yeah. So, okay. So, I think it's really interesting, right? Like, that you were on this knife edge of you could have fallen into going on the Joe Rogan experience <laughs> instead of many less popular but cooler podcasts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I guess, I mean, I think what drew me to the left is the fact that, like, it, it is ideologically more coherent and appealing in a lot of ways, right? And it's like, I, maybe there's an alternate universe where I just like went full like fascist. I don't think so, but I think it's just like- <laughs> That's extremely know. big dicked. <laughs> I'm like Joe Rogan who definitely showers. But I, <laughs> but I do think, I, I mean, I think my own personal story gives me hope for a lot of other people I know where it's like, mm-hmm. it's not that they're just, it's not that they're incorrigible. It's that they just haven't been exposed to a lot of the ideas on the left. And I think that if they were to be exposed in the right way and to have time thinking about them, they'd be like, oh yeah, actually this makes sense. Hell yeah. Of, I think oh, that's, that's how we abolish Silicon Valley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's, I like that's that. literally how we do it. Radicalized tech workers. Well, yeah. All these kids on the right, they're from broken homes. You know, like <laughs> they were just if they were taken in by a nurturing left wing podcast, we could we could we could be the <laughs> oh, change. Totally do three men and a baby. <laughs> what is that? Uh, it's a movie or a show or something from the eighties. Sounds um, like a snuff film. Uh, Nate. <laughs> Nate. <laughs> um. Okay. 
Uh, so Wendy, for I think I think I, I tried to do the outro, but then you said the Jordan Peterson yeah, thing, and we had to no, no, we had to stick on it. Do not apologize for that. That was the best do riff of the show. Apologize for that okay. at all. Never apologize. Never for- apologize. It shows weakness. <laughs> Never apologize to children, or they'll tear you limb have from you, limb. Have you ever seen a lobster apologize? No. Okay. Um, Wendy, thank you very much for coming out. This has been a long time coming, and I'm very glad to have had it's you been on. A pleasure. It really hey, has. Thanks for having yeah. me. This has been fun. Thank it's- you for being yeah. smart. Because we're so dumb. We're so dumb. Thank you you to Ginseng for our theme song. Here we go. You can find on Spotify. You can find us on Spotify now. Yeah. Um, we're rappers. We're, yeah, we're rappers now. Do we do we get like some pitiful sum of money every time someone streams us on Spotify? I don't know. I don't think so. I feel like because if you have a song on Spotify, you get money from it. Podcasts are different because they're worse than songs. (laughs) Um, Depends on the song. Anyway, well, we're, we're rappers now. Yeah. So. I mean, it's not like we're doing that song gaudy. Should we claim that it's rap? It's like really freeform experimental it's very rap. Very freeform beatless rap music. Yeah, we're SoundCloud rappers. We'll, we'll but become one podcast. of those court cases that's taught in every law school, like Trash Future <laughs> versus Spotify. Uh, <laughs> Trash Future versus Chief Keef. <laughs> when he just came and murdered all of us. Um, no, so thank you to Ginseng and also Commodify Your Descent with a t shirt from Lil Comrade. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, you know what, if you're sitting in the kitchen and you're feeling as though like your cookware isn't, doesn't have enough zing, then might I recommend the Vremi family of products? They Mm. not only, they, they, they are the sponsor of every fun thing on the internet, including what if George Jetson worked at Dunder Mifflin? The funniest genre of tweet that exists. So buy Vremi products. Buy Vremi products. Even even if you're an alienated tech worker who lives in a capsule hotel, buy Vremi products anyway because their crockpots will make your capsule beautiful. Buy Vremi products and cook your chicken and make sure you put the chicken where the chicken, raw chicken juice was. Oh, yeah. So you can truly own the lips. If you're Michael Rotundo and your parents are kicking you out, live in a Vremi crockpot, maybe. Use a um, Remy coffee grinder to make your favorite soups. Does Remy make a crock pot? I don't think they do. <laughs> oh, shit. We forgot to show you this. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. A crock pot. Oh, All right. I'm ending the episode. Good night, everybody. Uh, Good night. Uh,